Hey everyone, thanks for checking out the River Community Church podcast. If you want more information about the church or things that are going on, you can visit therivercc.com or you can check out our app at app.therivercc.com. Today's message comes from Pastor Steve Taboo. How big is God? That's my opening question for you today. How big is he? Is God big enough to intervene in your problems and give you victory? Is God big enough to to take the problems of the world and provide a solution? Is God big enough to do miracles today? Uh, I think today, and more people I talk to, I I think people see God more as a, a bigger us than actually as the creator of the universe. We don't um, call an, out enough for miracles. I talk to folks, and it's like the, the, this doubt that God even wants to get involved in our daily lives. And I want to challenge you on that today because I truly believe that God wants to get involved in our everyday lives. He wants to speak hope into our everyday lives. He wants us to realize that he's bigger than uh, and can do more than what we can do on our own and that he is capable. And so we, we listen to the songs, we sing them about God being an awesome God, about God being all-powerful, but do we walk that out? So I started thinking about it. Who is God? First of all, the first picture we have of God is creator. In Genesis 1.1, we see the bigness of God as he creates the world. Now, they say there are billions of stars. When I first heard that, I thought they were joking. I was like, billions was a B. That's that's like a lot of stars out there. And yet the, the greater the telescopes that they build, the more they get to see that's out there. Galaxies, planets, stars. And they realize just how vast the expanse is. And when you try to wrap your head around the fact that God created all that, it's pretty humbling. And then the fact that God is eternal. That God is not bound by time. That God has always been and will always be. I can't wrap my head around that one because I had a starting point and I'll have an ending point on this earth, right? Like I was born and then I'll die. But then I will get to be eternal with God forevermore. I mean, do you ever get tired of playing basketball in heaven? I don't know. Well, I get to be good in heaven at basketball. That'll be nice to know, right? I mean, it's not fairy tale land, so maybe not, maybe I'll still just be average. But what will it be like? It'll be eternal. I mean, I get excited about the fact that that means I won't have to be in a hurry. Like, I'll get to spend time with my family, my loved ones, my friends, and we can talk about things like for hours and hours on end, and we won't have to go hey, I really got to go. I got to get to work early in the morning. God is eternal. And then God is all-powerful. Now, do we really believe that God can literally overthrow governments, has power over governments, has power to, to shift and change wars and world wars? I believe he does. I believe through prayer and us asking God to intervene, that we can see God do things that we could never accomplish on our own. But we've got to ask. We're going to look at a guy named Daniel today that wasn't afraid to ask. 
to pray big prayers and to see God do big things. We're going to look at a guy today named Ezra that God provided over and above to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem when it was destroyed. And he did so from a king that wasn't even a follower of God. We're going to look at these guys, and I hope what you walk away with today is encouragement. Encouragement that, that God can do the same thing today that he did then. A lot of folks are discouraged in our nation. And I think a part of that's because the news just tells you all the bad stuff, all the trouble that's going on, all the problems that are going on, all the tensions that are going on. I was talking to a guy before we came in, and I said, how you doing? He said, man, I'm living the dream. I said, me too. And we start, I said, where did that phrase come from? I'd been hearing it more and more. And he said, I don't know. I said, I don't either. I just, when I heard it, I was like, yes. And the reason I said yes is because I believe we really are living the dream. Through the history of the world, we are in a season where we live right now. We have freedom to worship. We have no slavery. We have no king. We get to have a vote in our government. We have the Holy Spirit that is moving in and, and through the church. We have a, a place that we can come and worship God freely. We have the Word of God that we can have and we can read without fear of persecution. We have a family within the family. We are so blessed. And if we'll focus on the blessings instead of all the negative, we can be the difference that God wants to bring. But if we keep listening to all the problems of the, of the country and start getting on the bandwagon, everything that's going wrong, we can be negative just like everybody else, can't we? But when God gets involved, God can be the solution and he can use us to be a part of that. But we've got to trust that God is big enough to handle all of that. I want you to say today, I believe he is. I want you to say again, I believe he is. Is God big enough that he can do anything above and beyond what you think or imagine? Is he? I, I, I believe he is. And I want to take you on that journey today to look at some guys. The first one's Daniel, Daniel 6. Pull that out. Daniel chapter 6. In Daniel 6, starting in verse 1, we're going to pick up. I'll give you a little background for, for those that haven't been with us. We've been reading the Bible from cover to cover. And this week, we get Daniel in the lion's den, one of my favorite stories as a kid, okay? Love the story of the kid that fell in our reading this week. And Daniel chapter 6, a little background, Daniel got taken away into captivity as a young man, got put into leadership in the Babylonian Empire. Now, Daniel's a Jew, but Daniel got put into leadership in the Babylonian Empire, and he did so well, and his buddies did so well that they got promoted. And we see here in Daniel 6, Daniel's about to be promoted as the most important guy in the whole kingdom outside of the, the king himself. And what happens when that takes place? Well, guess what? All the Babylonians are like, wait a minute, why is this Jew getting to be put over us? Why is he getting all this favoritism from the king. We've got to get rid of this fella. He's honest. 
He's loyal. He's trustworthy. We got to get rid of him. He is bad stuff for our power plan. And that's where we pick it up. Daniel chapter 6, starting verse 1. It says, Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interest. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. That's a promotion, isn't it? Verse 4, then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. So they concluded, our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. Wow, what a great testimony. What if that was God, the, the testimony of your enemies? The only thing we could find against that Steve Taboo is something to do with his faith in God. The only problem we can find with John is his faith in God because he's honest, he's loyal, he's a hard worker. The only way we can get him fired is if we make something up or we get something to do with his faith. Well, that's what they did. They convinced the king to make a decree that uh, no one in, in the nation would, would pray to anybody except the, the king and the God there. And, and so they knew Daniel would not stop praying to God. And his practice was to pray three times a day. And, and apparently people around him knew it. Not that he did it publicly, but he was very consistent. And so they made the decree. Daniel, of course, broke the decree because he continued to pray. Well, the king, when they, these guys come before the king, they're like, hey, we found a guy, this guy Daniel that you're trying to put over the whole kingdom. He won't pray to our gods. He only wants to pray to his. He broke your rule, king. It's time to kill him. And the king was saddened about it. He realized he had been tricked, but he had already made the law and he couldn't change the law. And so he had the, the lion's den prepared and sent Daniel into the lion's den. Now, look at what it says here. We skip down to verse 19 to 24. King didn't sleep good that night with Daniel in the lion's den. Verse 19. Very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lion's? Daniel answered, long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. Then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown in the lion's den, along with their wives and children. The lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor. Wow. Brutal. 
yet God delivered. He delivered Daniel. He provided supernaturally. I want to challenge you to go back to the faith of a child and to believe in supernatural things that God can do. You guys are up against stuff in your jobs. You're up against stuff in your families. You're up against stuff in relationships. You're up against stuff in your marriages. There are some things that you're hitting the wall against, and you're like, there's no hope. There's no hope for victory in this situation. There's no hope for a breakthrough. All I can see is failure. All I can see is all the things we've tried in the past and nothing's worked. And some of you might even be mad at me for preaching this because I'm bringing up your hope again and you're like, there's no hope. There's always hope when God's involved. I don't know what you're walking through right now, but I wanna be one that's a hope giver for you. I wanna be one to share with you that God is all powerful and that we can find hope. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and then look at what, what all we wanna learn. Lord, there are folks in this room that they are dealing with oppressors, people that are trying to pull them away from the important things, people that are trying to pull them away and crush them at work and in their families. And God, I just come before you and I ask in Jesus' name that you would set them free today. That whatever hurt or bitterness or, or fear or doubt is there, that you would let them know that you are all-powerful and they can put it in your hands and you can handle it. Protect us from thinking, God, that we can do all this world in our own power, God, and help us to lean into you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you have your listening guide there, the first thing is that God has power over our oppressors. Listen, we don't know what all is going to happen. We don't know if it's uh, what holds the future in our nation or the world, but I know this. Our God has power over all oppressors. And at any time, he can rescue us when it seems like there is no hope. He can even use their own plans to further our plans. Uh, my kids recently did a play called Gladys Allward, End of Happiness. You may have seen the movie. It's an old movie. I think it had, uh, I'm not going to say who the actress was. I can't remember. But anyway, End of Happiness. And it was a story of Gladys Allward. And she had gone to China, feeling the call of God to go there and bring the light of Christ. And began an orphanage in that season. Had kids that she was taking care of. And, and wanted to have an inroad into the Chinese people to share the good news of Christ. But she was called the white devil because they didn't trust her. And so people wouldn't listen to her. Well, the Mandarin, basically the, the governor of that area, had a decree. He was told that they had to stop an ancient practice called feet binding, where when the girls were born, they literally would tie their feet together as infants so that they would stay small, so they would be dainty, so that all the days of their life they would have tiny feet. But obviously, if you tie your feet together, not, not together like two, two to tied to one, but one folded back so that you're basically walking like this all of your life. And they would do that and to make the people's feet smaller. 
and they decreed that, you know what, that's not a good practice anymore. <laughs> and uh, they needed someone with feet that had never been bound to go to every home and make sure that the mamas and the daddies weren't binding the feet anymore. And so they went to Gladys Allward, a foreigner whose feet had never been bound, and gave her the job of being the Mandarin's feet inspector. And her job was to go into every house with a newborn and make sure they weren't binding the feet. But she told them, I'll only take this job if while I'm there, you allow me to tell them about Jesus Christ. And the Mandarin said, I care not about your false gods. You can do whatever you want when you're in there. Just make sure they're not binding their feet. And so literally by the decree of the governor, the Mandarin, she was allowed to go into every home and have a conversation about Jesus. And the job was even paid for by the government. How about that? How big is God? Can he do stuff like this? Daniel was in a situation where he had no power and authority. He was taken away into slavery into that nation. And yet God placed him in a place of authority. Now, here's the dangerous part. I see this happen a lot. God shows favor on Christians, and he puts us in a place of leadership and authority. And then we get there, and then the, the moment comes. The moment comes when we have to stand firm for, for him. And I hear people say, well, surely God wouldn't want me to, to risk losing everything. Look at all the influence I have here. I'll just not let anybody see me pray for three weeks. I'll just not let anybody, I, I just won't tell anybody I'm a Christian. I'll just keep the light under a bushel. No, if God placed you there, he placed you there for a purpose. He placed you there for a reason. And will there be oppressors who will come and try to take that away? Of course there will be. Our job is to stay faithful to God, keep trusting in him, be loyal and true and righteous. God's job is to defend us and to supernaturally get us out of those situations. We've got to put that part in his hands. Daniel did that, and God delivered him. He had faith in God, and gave, God gave him victory over his oppressors. What if he doesn't? Some of you are in here right now, and you've been praying for that victory, and you've not been getting it. You've been working under the same boss for a long time, and it's still hard, and they're not changing. You've been working with the same family member forever, and they're not changing. You've been struggling and struggling and struggling and not seeing any hope. I just want to encourage you. Go back to what Daniel did. Daniel prayed. He fasted. He mourned. He wept for three weeks. Let's, let's not give up. Let's keep going to the Lord. Second thing. Now, and the second thing, if you got your listening guide, I messed it up, okay? <laughs> the, the point number two, if you're, watch, if you're on the line, if you're watching online, I messed it up. Point number two actually should be point number three, and point number three should be point number two. The Scripture verses are in the right order, but somehow I flipped them when I sent it off. I'm not very uh, computer literate, so who knows? I might have hit a button, uh, but... Point number two should be God can use unbelievers for his purposes. Too many times we, we think, well, we can only accomplish what we can do in our own power, our own strength. 
But God even used unbelieving kings throughout the years to fulfill his purposes. Unbelieving politicians to do things to fulfill his purposes. God can do that. And he did that when it comes to a man named Ezra. Ezra was was close to King Cyrus. And Ezra, again, was a Jew that was in the council of the king. And in Ezra 1, starting in 1, it says, in the first king of in the first year of King Cyrus of Persia, the Lord fulfilled the prophecy he had given through Jeremiah. He stirred the heart of King Cyrus to put this proclamation in writing and send it throughout his kingdom. So why did King Cyrus make this proclamation? God stirred his heart. Was King Cyrus a Jew? No. Maybe King Cyrus was looking at his big plans and and what he was going to do and thinking, how can I expand my kingdom? And maybe he looked at the fact that Daniel and several of the other Jews had been faithful to him and said, how can I appease them? They've always wanted a temple. Maybe that's a way that I can appease them and, and keep more of them in my kingdom. I don't know. We don't know why. But we know the Lord stirred his heart. I believe it's because of prayer. I believe Ezra was praying, Daniel was praying, people were praying for God to allow them to rebuild the temple. But we don't see that. It doesn't say that, but it just says God stirred his heart to put this proclamation. Verse 2, this is what King Cyrus of Persia says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. He has appointed me to build him a temple at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Any of you who are his people may go to Jerusalem and Judah and rebuild the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, who lives in Jerusalem. And may your God be with you. Wherever this Jewish remnant is found, let their neighbors contribute toward their expenses by giving them silver and gold and supplies for the journey and livestock as well as a voluntary offering for the temple of the Lord. So where does he tell them to get their money? from other people around them that were not Jews. That's pretty sweet. Like, what if we decide we need to build a children's ministry building over here? We start praying and say, Lord, we just need you to do something. And all of a sudden, a construction company that's not a believer in Christ says, hey, we're looking to do some kind of nonprofit something. We heard John White want a building. Is it okay if we come build you like a $20 million awesome kids ministry building for your church? Now, I wouldn't hear that and go, no, no, we we don't do business like that. No, no. We want to raise the money ourselves. We want to honor God with our first fruits. We don't need you to build the... I'd be like, yeah. Where do I sign the paperwork, right? Because God can use anybody and everybody to fulfill his purposes. And so as you're praying and asking God what he wants to do, Don't negate the fact there may be others that he sends your way to help fulfill those purposes. I talked to somebody after first service, and they've been pursuing a vision uh, as a family, and she said, you know, I had never been open to us pursuing financing through someone that was not a follower of Christ. She said, but after you said that, I thought, you know what? Maybe I've been too closed. What if God wants to do something outside of who we are and what he can do. I was like, wow, go God. Let's remember that God owns not just a cattle of a thousand hills, but he owns the hills they're standing on as well. Our God is awesome. We go on to Ezra chapter six, and 
uh, chapters 2 through 5, some enemies, as Ezra goes back to build the temple, uh, the people that were already living there, they got jealous, and they wanted to cause problems, so they wrote a letter to the king and, and said, oh, king, you, you need to understand these Jews, they've been problem for us here for a long time. Can you please change your mind and check and see where they've been problem? <laughs> that was a weird one. Can I get that on video? Can you cut that out? Mm. Oh, my daughter gave me this cold. <clears throat> All right. Uh, so, so, <laughs> that was weird. Okay. So, so they got enemies, right? They got enemies, and one of the enemies' name is Tetanani, and the other is Buzetti or something like that. They were probably just mad because they had horrible names. And, uh, so they were enemies. They're like going against Ezra, like, y'all can't build the temple here. Y'all don't belong here. They're trouble. They write this letter to the king, and the king goes back and looks in the writings. He goes, oh, yeah, Jerusalem has rebelled against us a couple of times. Tell them to stop building that temple because it was a different king than the one that sent them to build it in the first place. Well, the Jews could have given up, but they didn't. They sent another letter to the king themselves and said, hey, O king, can you please check the records and see that it was your previous king that said that y'all would build the temple for us even? So they go back and they check the records and they find out that sure enough, uh, chapter six, verse one through five says, so King Darius issued orders that a search be made in the Babylonian archives, which were stored in the treasury. But it was the fortress of Escambada in the province of Media that a scroll was found. This is what it said. Memorandum. In the first year of King Cyrus's reign, a decree was sent out concerning the temple of God at Jerusalem. Let the temple be rebuilt on the site where Jews used to offer their sacrifices using their original foundations. Its height will be 90 feet. Its width will be 90 feet. Every three layers of specially prepared stones will be topped by a layer of timber. All expenses will be paid out of the royal treasury. Furthermore, the gold, silver cups, which were taken to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar from the temple of God in Jerusalem, must be returned to Jerusalem and put back where they belong. Let them be taken back to the temple of God. And if you go on to read the rest, it goes on to say that not only does that money need to come out of the temple, the, the treasury of that region, but also he encourages all their neighbors, the people that are opposing them, to give gold and silver to them as well to help build the temple. Can you imagine how bad they were? Somebody's shooting somebody going, I told you not to bother the process. Now we got to pay for this temple to be built. That's how big God is. God can do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. And if he has put you in a place where he has given you leadership, if he's put you in a place where he's given you influence, he's expecting you to, lose, to use that for the glory of God and fulfill his desire for this to be a place of righteousness, truth, and love. And if we choose to do that, we can turn the tide from the negativity and the anger and the angst and the complaining to being a place of hope, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. I had somebody say to me this week, they're like, 
Uh, you know, we know it's in times that it's all going to be bad, and that we are going to look at that in a minute. There is going to be a moment in the end times where it says it will get worse on the earth than it ever has been. But it doesn't say worse on the earth than it's ever been everywhere. What if as we choose and as believers choose to walk their faith out around this world, that there could be pockets, pockets where hope can be given, pockets where people can return hatred with love and grace and forgiveness. That's what we want to be. Well, the, the right third, the right third point is that God can give victory over the demonic. Now, this is where it gets a little bit interesting. Daniel, more than any other book in Genesis to Revelation, talks about the spiritual world. Daniel and probably Revelation. Those two books, they share a lot together, okay? And in Daniel, we see this spirit world being talked about in the form of Daniel praying and asking God and an angel coming and speaking to Daniel. Now, I'm not going to ask you like I did first service, how many of you have seen an angel? But I know people that have seen angels. I've met some folks that have told me they've seen angels. And I know that Joseph and Mary and the Apostle Paul and, and the Apostle John, they all saw angels. So I believe them to be true. I've just never seen an angel. I think it'd be pretty awesome because every time these folks see an angel, they like get all freaked out and scared. They always have to say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So I'm thinking when we see an angel, they're not going to be like these little pictures of the Cupid, you know, with a little bow and arrow going, you know, waiting to shoot an arrow of love. I mean, I'm pretty sure these are fearsome warriors that are ready to conquer and, and do battle for the Lord because that's the impression we get here in Daniel chapter 10. We're going to pick up in verse 9. Daniel chapter 10. We're going to pick up in verse 9 to 19. Now Daniel's having a vision where God's showing him something. In that vision, verse 9 says, I heard the man speak, and when I heard the sound of his voice, I fainted and lay there with my face to the ground. Just then the hand touched me and lifted me still trembling to my hands and knees. So seeing this guy, this angel, just kind of freaked Daniel out. He's like on his knees. He's, he's shaking. Verse 11, the man said to me, Daniel, you are very precious to God. So listen carefully to what I have to say. Stand up, for I have been sent to you. When he said this to me, I stood up, still trembling. Then he said, don't be afraid. Daniel, since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. I have come in answer to your prayer. You got your Bibles. Underline that one phrase. From the first day you began to pray. I truly believe that God hears each and every one of our prayers that are lifted up humbly. I believe he begins action in those moments. I do. Verse 13. But for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now, I am here to explain what will happen to your people in the future, for this vision concerns the time yet to come. And he goes on to tell him what's going to happen. 
While he was speaking to me, I was looking down the ground, unable to say a word. Then the one who looked like a man touched my lips, and I opened my mouth and began to speak. I said to the one standing in front of me, I am filled with anguish because of the vision I've seen. My Lord, and I am very weak. How can someone like me, your servant, talk to you, my Lord? My strength is gone, and I can hardly breathe. Then the one who looked like a man touched me again, and I felt my strength returning. Don't be afraid, he said, for you are very precious to God. Peace, be encouraged, be strong. As he spoke these words to me, I suddenly felt stronger and said to him, Please speak to me, my Lord, for you have strengthened me. Verse 20, he replied, Do you know why I've come? Soon I must return to fight against the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia and against the spirit prince of the kingdom of Greece will come. Meanwhile, I tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one helps me against these spirit princes except Michael, your spirit prince. What in the world is that? <laughs> did, did anybody else, did you gloss over that when you read that passage in Daniel? I mean, did you like read that and go, who's that spirit prince and how can I get one of those, right? That's what I'm thinking. I'm like, Lord, I want one of those in my life. I want the spirit prince that's gonna be my spirit prince, gonna help me do battle against whoever this prince of Persia is and whoever this demonic force is. Now, I'm gonna be honest. There's not enough in Daniel or even Revelations or the New Testament or the Old Testament to fully understand the spiritual world stuff. Here's what I believe we can take away. There is a spiritual war that is going on all the days of our life. That God uses prayer as our weapon to move forces. And he calls on us to do our battle on our knees and to intercede for people, for our nation, for our leaders, for our spiritual leaders. He calls on us to pray fervently and sometimes, yes, to fast, as Daniel was fasting. And he gives us the promise that he is with us, but this spiritual battle stuff, it's going on. So God heard Daniel on day one, but the, the angel had to fight himself through to get to Daniel, and he had to be helped by the archangel Michael, who must be a pretty, pretty good guy there, a pretty good warrior, that he was able to free this man to give Daniel his answer. So I would just say to you, if you're in a battle, if you're in a spiritual battle, don't give up praying. Don't be afraid to ask God for miracles. Don't be afraid to ask God for spiritual victory and believe God for the impossible. Anybody ever heard of Richard Nixon? A couple of you. He was the president we had long before many of us were alive, maybe not me, but long before people were, you know, in 19, early 70s, Richard Nixon sadly is most famous for Watergate, for which he was uh, removed from the presidency. But during the whole Watergate scandal, there, something took place. It was a war against the nation of Israel. Israel was being led by Golda Myers, and in that War, Egypt and Syria and other nations came and they attacked Israel. You can Google this by on, or just go to YouTube and put Richard Nixon and the Yom, the War of Yom Kippur. There's a, a four-minute clip there that's really powerful that tells this story. So Israel was under attack. They saw they would be defeated. They had all these other nations attacking them with superior 
military equipment. They were fighting it off as best they could, but they were getting down to their last straw. And Golda Myers had reached out to Henry Kissinger and asked for support from the American government, that we would support them with military uh, weapons and, and not even sending people, but would we at least send weapons to help their military that were being outgunned, outtanked. And Henry Kissinger was reported to have said, let's let the Jews bleed for a while. Golda Myers called President Nixon's direct line and got a hold of him, I think he said at 3 o'clock in the morning. And the story is recounted that when she called him, she was weeping, and she said, Mr. President, if you don't help us, Israel will be no more. We need you. If you don't help us, we will be no more. In that moment, he tells the story, Nixon, that it was like hearing his mother's voice all over again. You see, Nixon's mother was a strong follower of Jesus Christ. And she would read stories to him, David and Goliath, Daniel and the Lions did when he was a kid, and tell him God had something great for him to do one day. I didn't know it was recording that. And he said, in that moment that Golda was talking to him, he remembered a conversation his mother had with him one day where she said to him, one day, Richard, you will have the ability to rescue Israel like David did rescue him out of Goliath. And one day you will be given that opportunity and when you are, you must do everything within your power to make a difference. And he said in that moment at 3 a.m., he knew why he was supposed to be president of the United States. And against Henry Kissinger and against others on his cabinet, he gave Golda everything she asked for. And the tide of the war was turned and the Jews regained their sovereignty and won the war. Now that's almost too big to believe, isn't it? Isn't that such a, but this is being told by a man who wasn't walking with the Lord at the time. Being told by a man that had nothing to gain by helping the Jewish people. But he was willing to put it all at risk for such a time as this. When God puts you in that position and he gives you the chance to have influence for his glory, will you have the courage to say, yes, Lord? I hope I do. But the fourth and final thing is God will reign in the end. He wins. This is where we get hope from. He wins. Daniel 12, I'm just going to read verses 1 through 3. It says, at that time, Michael the archangel, remember him? Mark, Michael the archangel, who stands guard over your nation, will arise. Then there will be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into existence. Talking about the end times here. But at that time, every one of your people whose name is written in the book of life will be rescued. Many of those whose bodies lie dead and buried will rise up, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting disgrace. Those who are wise will shine as bright as the sky 
and those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever. In the end, God will win. We read in Revelation, you can skip to Revelation, the last book in the Bible, chapter 20. Revelation 21 through 3, the writer says this, Then I saw an angel, again, angels, they're real guys, they're out there. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven with the key to the bottomless pit and a heavy chain in his hand. He seized the dragon, that old serpent who is the devil, Satan, and bound him in chains for a thousand years. The angel threw him into the bottomless pit, which he then shut and looked so Satan could not deceive the nation and locked so Satan could not deceive the nations anymore until the thousand years were finished. Afterward, he must be released for a little while. Satan is defeated. Now, we know this. I have people asking this all the time. If Satan knows he's going to lose, why does he keep fighting to win? Well, wouldn't you? I mean, if you got no other hopes and maybe God made a mistake, I'm going to keep fighting, hoping God didn't really get it right, and I'm going to try to take as many people with me as I can. And that's the goal of the enemy, to steal, kill, and destroy. He's after our kids. He uses different things throughout the generations, doesn't he? It changes every 10 years, but it's kind of the same thing. Put something shiny, some new cultural thing in front of us and make us run after that instead of God. He's after all who have faith in God to destroy our faith, to discourage us. But I want you to know, I, I've got so much hope. I see the power of God at work. I see that God wants to change our hearts and our lives. And daily, he gives us evidence that he is at work. On the stage, there's like, I don't know, maybe a thousand names of people written. We wrote these starting... I think the beginning of this year, putting names on the stage as people to pray for. This morning, Butch Robbins, who uh, I had the privilege of seeing come to Christ about, I don't know, 17 years ago and baptizing Butch. He and his wife then joined the church and he helped build the first building that we had. He, he led that whole charge. Well, Butch has been praying for his friend for a long time. He's been praying for Jerry Qualls to come into a relationship with Jesus. Jerry's wife goes to church. His daughters love the Lord. But Jerry has said, no, I don't believe and I'm not gonna believe. That's not something I want to follow. And he's held that for 50 years, Butch said. And he's just said no until Thursday. Thursday night, Jerry's had heart problems, he said. And Thursday night, his heart was pumping and he he was having trouble breathing. And he said from 9 p.m. to 1, 1 a.m., Jerry said it was like he just couldn't get his breath and he felt like it was coming to an end. And he said at 1 a.m., he couldn't take it any longer. And having had family and friends that loved him and had prayed for him, he knew what he needed to do. And he said, literally, I called out in the name of Jesus. And I said, Jesus, I can't do it anymore. I need you to rescue me. Will you come into my heart? And in that moment, he said he trusted Christ as his Savior. And he said it was like the whole weight was taken off him. He said, you got to know Jerry. He said, Jerry's the most private guy I know. He literally tells his daughters, don't put his picture on Facebook or his name anywhere. 
He said, but Jerry told him, tell everybody he's real. Tell everybody that Jesus is the Savior. Yeah, amen, amen. Now, Butcher said he's got to find the name up here, wherever he put it. He said, I can't remember where I put it, but I got to find it, put a check mark next to his name and say, the Lord got another one. What about you today? Where are you at with the Lord? Have you surrendered all? I want to invite you to stand with me. Jimmy's going to come out and lead us an invitation song. And I want to give you a chance to follow through with what God's leading you to follow through on. Maybe you're like Jerry and you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you're here because you finally said, okay, I'll go to church with a family member or a friend. And, and all of a sudden, as I was talking about Jerry, the Lord's like, that's you. That's you. You need to be rescued from your own decisions. If that's you, then I want to invite you to come and give your heart to Jesus today. Hey guys, thanks so much for checking us out online today. If you want more information about the church or things that's going on here, be sure to check out theriverCC.com or download our app and visit us there. Also, as we go through the Bible this year, we want to help keep you engaged on what's being read and talked about each week. To do that, we have a podcast called The Word This Week, which will recap each week's readings, as well as have special guests who will talk about what God showed them that week. So be sure to check that out on all podcast streaming platforms. And again, thanks so much for checking us out online.